In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. These guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast, episode number 61. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we're going to focus on the upcoming first-year player draft, which is going to be very different than recent drafts. We'll talk about how the Brewers have been preparing for that. And we'll take a look back at where some current Brewers were selected in their draft classes, as well as some all-time greats from the franchise as well. Will, how's it going for you on this Monday? Doing well, Derek. Glad to be chatting with you. I'm excited for the draft. I was thinking about the MLB draft the other day, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I hate that there's just such like a that lack of fan interest for it, but it's so understandable because with the NFL and the NBA... You know who these guys are for the most part, even if you're just like a fringe college fan or you just check in during the college football playoff if it's football or the March Madness if it's basketball. You kind of know at least the big name. So if you're in the top 20 or so, you could kind of like say to yourself, okay, if they don't pick this guy, I'll be upset because of this reason. MLB, it's like, well... I don't really have a great argument if they don't take this guy or if they do take this guy. So wonderful. You know, it's like you kind of learn as you go sort of thing. If you're a fan, I feel like for the most part, because you just don't know about that high school outfielder in California versus that pitcher for Duke. Um, you may know more about that pitcher from Duke just because there's probably more information out there about him. But you don't know enough to be armed with a, an argument of they should have chosen this guy instead of that guy. And that takes a little bit of the fun and interest out of it, I think, sometimes. Right. I mean, compared to the draft that the Packers just had, uh, where you know Jordan Love was the first-round pick, and everybody got a little bit angry about that uh, in, in Packer Nation, and I think understandably so. Um, you know, if, if the Brewers take a, a corner outfielder as their first-round pick at, at 20 overall, it doesn't really, you know, put Christian Yelich on notice. It just doesn't doesn't work that way. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's it's the lack of exposure, right? It, in a normal spring, sure, you do get to see some college games on ESPN and uh, high school baseball. I mean, it, unless you're digging into things like perfect game and, and actual draft coverage, you know, Keith Law focused on the draft, of course, for the Athletic. Uh, Eric Longenhagen does that at Fangraphs. There's a lot of great content out there. Uh, but it takes a lot of effort to learn who these players are, and you're generally watching clips on YouTube to actually see them prior to draft night. So really it is kind of the beginning of the education process for many of us with the players uh, since we don't focus 
on that area of the game. Um, and speaking of uh, Keith Law, he is scheduled to join us on next week's episode. He has a, a projected first round up on the Athletic. So with the 20th overall pick, he has the Brewers selecting uh, Dylan Dingler, a catcher from Ohio State. Uh, you know, one thing that's pretty unique about this draft, aside from the fact that it's only five rounds, it's the byproduct of the league wanting to shorten things up and reduce the cost for teams in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's also more of a college-heavy draft anyway. Like It leaned a little more college-heavy all along, and then not seeing high school players, not seeing prep players out there for this spring, not seeing the final year of their high school careers, I think has also kind of pushed teams even further into the direction of going with the more established, the older college players. Without a doubt, because you, you're taking some calculated risk if you're, if you're choosing to go the high school route all the time, right? Especially with pitchers. And with all that's going on, it's just so much more of a risk to go that to go down that route. You haven't seen this guy, and you know, for example, like I co- I covered um, a guy JT Ginn, uh, who's a pitcher from Mississippi State. I covered him a few years ago, um, actually during high school. He was a great high school pitcher in Mississippi, and the Dodgers took him in the first round a couple of years ago, and. He obviously didn't sign with them, went to school, but he blew out his elbow, had a Tommy John surgery just now, like a couple of months ago, like right right before, like about one week after the season. So it wasn't exactly at the height of the pandemic, of, of course, but he had the surgery and it's like, what do you do with a guy like that? You know, like that's, he would be drafted. He's still in Keith Law's top 100. I think he's actually somewhere in his top 50, if I'm not mistaken. And so he's a great talent, but where do you draw the line there? And maybe if he's been in, and and that's a college arm. And so even with that, there, there's risk of course, and, and you have to make that decision. So with a high school kid who you haven't seen, um, since I guess for, for, they're our senior year. Um, in some cases, you've seen maybe a month of them, but you certainly haven't seen them against top competition or um, any sort of season after their high school year or any type of tournament or anything like that. You just haven't seen it since really their junior year of high school. And so for me, that's a it's a tough sell, especially when you're comparing that to a, a guy who has a little bit more of a track record who may have less question marks. So, yeah, it's... All that to say, I wouldn't necessarily want to be in a guy like Todd Johnson's shoes, the scouting director for um, amateur ball for the Brewers, because there's just so many different decisions that you have to make and certain things that you have to weigh. And that's the case with every draft every year, but it's just more so it's compounded this year by everything. Yeah, and I think the the question that you were looking to answer, you wrote a piece about this at the end of May. Uh, and you had a chance to speak to Todd Johnson uh, in the process. Uh, how are the Brewers preparing for this draft? I mean, normally you'd have people on the road in the scouting department getting their final looks at players, and that hasn't been possible since there have been no games. So what did the Brewers do to be better prepared for this year's draft? Yeah, there's a few parts of that that are interesting. First, uh, uh, a couple of weeks before I spoke to Todd Johnson, it was maybe actually a week after, a week before, uh, David Stearns had told me that, and he has since repeated this a couple of times, 
about how robust the, the Brewers' video collection is on prospects. And I, I dug a little bit more into that, and I, I found that a lot of people think that it's also robust in terms of high school and junior college film because that's less accessible than your four-year guy at, say, an ACC school or an SEC school or out in California or whatever. It's just that there's less information or less video available for a JUCO or a high school guy, and that's where the Brewers have collected a lot of data from. Now it's kind of interesting because we just talked about how maybe it's less likely that those type of guys get drafted this year. So it's kind of interesting as to how much of an impact will that actually make for the Brewers this time around. But they do. David Stearns has also talked about just the idea of the video collection being very deep anyway in terms of just what they have on guys who are in college who they've eyed for a couple of years. And that's worth remembering too is for the baseball draft, like these, for the most part, your first rounders that we'll see – They've been scouted and analyzed for a couple of years now, at least, and a lot of for a lot of these guys, right? I mean, they've been tracked and viewed and debated on for a couple of years, going back to even high school for a lot of these guys who are, you know, twenty one now or, or seniors for that matter at the college level. So there's that aspect. Um, I also thought it was interesting the flip side of. Now that now that there is no college games, for instance, um, there's the opportunity to actually talk to coaches more about these guys. So yeah, they're not getting these like last minute or last second visits or or scouting opportunities in, but they're having these conversations that otherwise coaches and and even the prospects for that matter just wouldn't have the time for because they're playing. So the college coach who has you know, a handful of games during the week who was preparing for those, he doesn't have those anymore. So he could sit down with them and, and he could answer your questions. And so a little bit is a little bit of a silver lining is getting some more information that way. So that's an interesting thing that I hadn't really considered before talking to some people in the industry. Yeah. I mean, there's some other interesting things to think about with that too. I get the feeling that when you, when you talk to a college coach about one of his players, you're probably going to get uh, effusive praise for the most part, right? There, there might be some sort of reality. Well, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to work on this. You might get something like that out of a coach. But uh, it kind of puts teams in the position that, that you as a reporter are often in where you have to kind of weed through the BS. You have to sort of like ask the exact right questions to get the information you want. So I'm... I'm actually very curious what those interactions are like and and just how like of the of the thousand words you get from a college coach how much of that tells you something like that that's a kind of a fascinating question to me as a a nerd who thinks a lot about uh, what people share in baseball information wise but there was something else that that struck me uh, about this draft Uh, of course it's the limited signing bonus amount it's twenty thousand dollars for any undrafted players and I think the industry consensus is that most players who are undrafted will choose some other path Uh, the exception might be uh, college seniors who don't want to go back to school you know their age is not going to be a thing that helps them right being a year older and, and going to school another year and coming back into the 2021 draft is a bad choice for them I feel like those players are most likely to sign whereas 
undrafted high school players uh, are a lot less likely to take that small bonus when they could be foregoing a commitment to uh, a D1 you know, college program. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, I agree with the fact of that being sort of the assessment across the industry. When I was talking to Todd Johnson about that, he seemed a bit more pessimistic of their chances of or just the idea of a lot of guys choosing that route as you're detailing Derek. But then like David Stearns sort of offered the other way to look at it, which is, Hey, we're a team that first of all, we've seen a couple of guys go through our system. Uh, Keston here, of course, is the, the best example of that where it was, you know, he got taken first round pick, um, excelled and he's a mainstay right now in the lineup, of course. Um, obviously, I, I, nobody that's that's more of an outlier than um, the norm, of course. But it's a point that he's trying to make that it does happen, or, or we've seen other guys go from rookie ball to A ball to to double A. Um, it's just there, there's room for it with the Brewers is the point that he's trying to make. And so, if you're a team like that, where you could maybe sort of sell yourself as an attractive destination in that sense, where hey. One, you could move up through our system. We're not afraid of doing that with guys. And secondly, we don't have the deepest system, maybe. Um, so there are opportunities here for you. So I could see teams doing that, and I think the Brewers will try their best to sell themselves that way. And yeah, there are going to be a lot of cases, and I wrote about one of them, one instance of like, hey, Lorenzo Cain, for, for example, is a guy that didn't play didn't play baseball until the end of his high school uh his days in high school where he just started to pick up the game sort of randomly almost and it was a your classic late bloomer case it it stinks that we're going to probably lose a a portion of guys like that because of this because you're just not going to take a guy like lorenzo kane in the fifth round or certainly not before that so the chances are smaller than they were for those guys, but they're not completely eliminated. And guys will come back, of course, but just for 2020, I think there will be a portion of guys who just for whatever combination of reasons say to themselves, yeah, it stinks that it's just the 20K, but this is the best opportunity for me for other reasons. And that allows them to survey the the league and decide which team is the best fit for them. And The Brewers are one of those teams that are positioned to sort of sell themselves if you're looking at it through that way of how could they gain some players with this uh, setup. It's possible. I'm not not sure how likely it is. I'm with you, like I said, of uh, you just don't see a whole lot of people that the stars line up this way for them. Um, But it is possible. And David Stearns has looked at it through that lens Yeah, uh, I still think we're going to have to watch this for a few years to see what sort of long-term impact shortening this draft actually has on the game. I mean, I think the forecast tends to be that it will be negative. It's just a matter of how negative, how much damage uh, will this do uh, not having a a normal length or even a a 10 or 20 round draft. I mean, we went from 40 to 5. The draft does begin, by the way, Wednesday night, first round, and I believe the Comp A round Wednesday night, and then rounds two through five will go on Thursday. Brewers again picking at number 20 overall. 
Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you could jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just to buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. Uh, Will, I'm glad, glad you brought up that Lorenzo Cain uh, piece that you wrote. I'll link that to the episode, too. So if you're listening on the Athletic app, it'll just be like right there on the screen next to the piece or next to the episode, rather. And if you're listening on iTunes or somewhere else, I'll put it in the show notes if you want to click through to see that story. Uh, but Kane, when the Brewers drafted him back in 2004, 17th round draft pick, and you can go up and down this roster, and there are some key players who were well outside the first five rounds. Uh, it wasn't just Lorenzo Kane. Brandon Woodruff was an 11th round pick out of college in 2014. Uh, Josh Hader was a 19th round pick when the Orioles drafted him back in 2012. Brent Suter was a pick for the Brewers in that same draft in 2012. He was a 31st rounder. Um, Brock Holt, who's a new Brewer, but still a later pick, was a 9th rounder in 2009. Ben Gamble was a 10th rounder of the Yankees in 2010. And Logan Morrison, whose status is still kind of up in the air as far as whether or not he sticks with the Brewers as a, a non-roster invite to spring training, expanded rosters, as we've talked about, you know, are our big deal there. Logan Morrison was a 22nd round pick of the Florida Marlins in 2005. So uh, a lot of players are, are the kinds of guys who legitimately are, are not even in the conversation for being selected this year. And, and that list had plenty of good players on it, Will. Brandon Woodruff is the one that stands out to me just because if you look at his college statistics, they're not very good. He was not the most successful college pitcher in the SEC, but his stuff was undeniable, and his stuff was always undeniable when he was a kid, when he was in high school. like It was always there. It was just a matter of, can he put it together? And so that's another guy that's like Kane in some sense. He, unlike Kane, he played baseball his whole life. But like Kane, he, he's been a late bloomer. It took him a while to put things together. It wasn't just excellence coming out of his arm um, at the college level. He had a high ERA. He was inconsistent with his pitches. He didn't have a, a lot of pitches going for him. So that's one that you sort of you just shake your head because he's definitely worth that pick in the 11th round. But... Now what happens? Is he a guy that maybe signs uh, for that for that twenty k deal? I'm not sure. Who knows, right? Um, but that's just a, a great example of a guy that has everything you'd want in a pitcher, just hasn't proven that he could put it together yet at the college level. And there's definitely a boatload of guys like that. Whether or not they do it or not at the next level, who knows, right? But they're there and they're worth picking, and they're just not going to be picked probably right because that you just don't 
take those guys in the first five rounds. So, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting how you could look back and, and take those guys. But, you could, you know, I think that it's, it's very uh, sensible to do that. But you could also look at the first five rounds. And if I'm a Brewers fan, sometimes I'd, I'd feel like I'd want to see, like, okay, well, where, where did they have success in the first five rounds? Because it's, like, it's, it's almost easy to point out the busts and, like, how – after the after the first five rounds, you see a lot of success stories in baseball. But there there are also plenty of guys back in the day where you had a a Prince Fielder or a Ricky Weeks or Ryan Braun where the Brewers hit on all those guys. And so there's something to be said about that too. It's just baseball drafts weird, man. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you had a great piece that you wrote, uh, kind of looking back at that era, the early to almost the late two thousands. Uh, they made a lot of those picks that you were just referencing. And you look back at the players they were thinking about taking as the alternative. And a lot of times, yeah, the Brewers crushed it. And had they gone the other direction, it would have been crushing in terms of uh, ruining the, the, the makeup of the roster and, and really um, probably reducing the chances of, of that team getting back to the postseason in that decade. You know, There was a lot of success uh, with Jack Zarenzik as the farm director, with Doug Melvin as the GM, in putting strong draft classes together. And one thing I did last night, too, as we were getting ready for the show, is I kind of ran through. We've talked a lot about the all-time great position players in franchise history. And I started to think, okay, well, you know, where were all of these guys drafted? Like, if you go back and let's just say you pull up the top 10 position players in franchise history. Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, both third overall picks. I mean, they were highly regarded players in their draft classes. Ryan Braun was an early first rounder as well. Uh, even Jonathan Lucroy. I, I, for some reason, when I, when I looked back, I expected to see Jonathan Lucroy as a non-top five rounds guy. But he was a third rounder back in 2007. So he was a little earlier than I'd remembered. You have to go down to this next cluster of players. Uh, Cecil Cooper was a sixth-round pick in 1968. The Red Sox drafted him. Uh, Don Money, who is actually the sixth-best position player in Brewers history based on war, was actually undrafted. He was originally signed by the Pirates as an amateur free agent in 1965. That was out of high school, uh, La Plata High School in Southern Maryland. And the crazy thing about that is you might say, oh, 1965, there were fewer teams. The draft was probably smaller. Yeah, there were fewer teams, but 826 players were taken that year, and Don Money wasn't one of them, which just baffles me to to think back to how big the draft was and, and still like you can cast a huge net and miss out on very good, even great big league players. 826 players, jeez. Could you imagine like being a, a scouting director and sitting through that? <laughs> How did you organize information in 1965? I mean, the databases that teams have right now, I mean, just thinking again about what you said about the, the amount of video and information they had available. I mean, did every player have a handwritten index card where they just like thumbtacked to a giant corkboard? Like what was, what was the draft war room actually like? And that's with air quotes, because I'm sure they probably didn't even have one. Like what? What was the prep? What did the materials look like? <laughs> it reminds me of like a really, really like deep AL only like fantasy draft where you're just like picking this middle infielder 
who's going to get like 200 at bats to the next one who's going to get like 210 and there's really no other reason for it so yeah hats how how did they distinguish between number 700 and number 800 there and how did they miss out on one of the best brewers of all time mind you in the process interesting stuff uh glad you dug it up there's there's a few others on that list too um jeff cirillo who we've had on the podcast before uh was a pitcher uh, for a little while in college too so could kind of see how that one would make sense um for being a, a later pick and he ends up going in round 11 uh to the brewers of course so that's another one you can kind of go up and down it though and you and you'll find some of the like you mentioned before with cooper money cirillo some of some of the best of all time have have come after the fifth round yeah george scott also undrafted i didn't know this he was actually and this is according to wikipedia but he was signed by the same major league scout ed scott who is not related to george uh, as hank aaron uh, same scout found Hank Aaron, who also found and, and signed uh, George Scott. So that's pretty interesting as well. Uh, ben Oglevy, an 11th rounder. And I, even though he's not a top 10 brewer, he's like number four in the hearts of so many fans. Jimmy Gantner, uh, a 12th rounder in 1974. Uh, not surprisingly, after the conversations we've had about the brewers pitching in a historical context, uh, there really aren't a lot of good pitchers in the organization's history anyway. But Mike Caldwell was a 12th rounder in 1971. Jim Slayton was a 15th rounder in 1969. And Larry Sorensen was an 8th rounder back in 1976. Um, I, I wonder, it's made me think, is there a major league franchise that has drafted less overall pitching talent in the last 50 years than the Brewers, which hmm. uh, isn't, isn't necessarily a critique of the people currently making the decisions, but sort of just a broad, like, wow, they've missed a lot trying to find pitchers. Uh, and it's, it's pretty staggering. But I, I would have figured that some of the successes they had were actually later round picks, but they're really not. Ben Sheets, Giovanni Gallardo. I mean, Sheets was a 10th overall pick. I think Yo was a second rounder. They were they were guys that were supposed to be good or guys they really believed in, at least in terms of what they were uh, willing to spend on them in the draft. Uh, the other interesting thing here, too, and you can go down this rabbit hole forever, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But I think we've uh, we have the, uh, a series of stories coming out this week about uh, franchise villains. So the, the greatest nemesis of each team one of the first players who comes to my mind is Albert Pujols, who at his peak, Brewers fans remember, any baseball fan remembers, Albert Pujols was the best hitter in the league for a nice stretch of the first part of his career. And he was among the best hitters in the game for probably the first 10 years of his career. He actually is one of those players who was a 13th round draft pick, which is just unbelievable. Uh, Beyond the box score had a great piece. Mike Piazza in 1988 was drafted in the 62nd round. We don't even have that many rounds of the draft in a normal year anymore. And that, according to this story, was actually just the result of a family connection. It was uh, a favor to a family friend of then-manager Tommy Lasorda that, that led the Dodgers to draft Mike Piazza, who arguably is the best offensive catcher to ever play. 
That's a fact. As somebody who grew up a Mets fan, very familiar with that tale. And that's when you when you first started talking about the best draft pick, that's immediately the first name that came to mind. But certainly, I'll give the nod to Albert Pujols there <laughs> for, the, for the reason that you mentioned. Um, it, just kind of make one final, another final point on the draft. Um, what you said about the pitchers, man, that's just... That has to be like bad luck to such an extreme extent too. You can't be, you can't be that bad. And a lot of times they weren't that bad at scouting pitchers. Uh, it just didn't. They just didn't hit on a lot of those guys. Like oh, Mark Rogers was a guy who I mentioned in that piece from a couple of weeks ago on the 2000 drafts. He was a guy that was a great amateur pitcher. Had some arm trouble almost immediately. So. That that happened. There were there were a few of those cases, of course, that Brewers fans are very familiar with. That I won't go into detail because everybody knows their names of miss after miss after miss, and it's definitely there. Um, but man, it's, luck has to play a role in that. I'm sorry, you can't, you cannot be that terrible. And for the Brewers' sake, I you kind of hope that that doesn't continue with um, the Stearns uh, drafting. What, what Stearns has done in the past few drafts that he's been part of. Um, because it's hard to find sort of a pattern with what they've done. They, they've done a bunch of different things, but nine pitchers, I believe, is the number since 2016 that have been drafted in the first five rounds. So you hope a couple of those pan out at least. Yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, going back to just last year's draft, uh, Ethan Small was the Brewers pick out of Mississippi State, uh, 28th overall. He was one of those guys that I think most people who analyze prospects said, well, he's going to be quick to the big leagues but he might not be a major impact arm like for a for a first round pick there's not really a, an ace sort of ceiling here it's more of a, a mid rotation sort of expectation if everything goes to plan now sometimes guys pick up velocity they pick up a nasty secondary pitch they do something along the way in development and exceed expectations that absolutely happens if you want an example from last season of a pitcher who was much better than Pretty much anybody would have expected Shane Bieber in Cleveland is the first guy that comes to mind. Just way, way above the the high end of what the most optimistic scouting reports would have said. Uh, but even still, I mean, Ethan Small as a college pitcher last year, probably still, even in a situation with expanded rosters this year, was more likely than not to spend the entire season in the minor leagues. So, you know, we'll see if... If that changes, given the odd makeup of what could happen in this 2020 season, if we get one, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's very difficult to find, develop, and keep an ace healthy. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great way to summarize it. I, I think you're right with Ethan Small with what the consensus opinion of him was. But it gets to a point where, hey, if he's a if he's a number three guy for a late first round pick, like a number three like rotation, like in the traditional sense of what you think of when you say number three starters type of thing, that's fine. I feel like I mean it's better than the alternative of another guy who flamed out at an A ball for you, <laughs> who you took yeah. in the top ten, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, and last year too. I mean, I think because of the college season, we didn't see a lot of Ethan Small. He spent time at low A. He was dominant at that level. Um, it shouldn't be surprising, just just given how advanced he was uh, as a, a college pitcher. But 
Uh, I was really curious to see you know what his initial assignment was going to be in 2020 and, and how quickly he was going to start moving. And now I think he's part of this large group of players where we're all kind of left to wonder what does development of minor league players truly look like for guys who weren't quite major league ready, who can't fit onto those uh, expanded 2020 rosters. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. And if you're looking for a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash 422 to get 40% off. If you have questions you want us to get to on a future episode, send those our way via Twitter. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform like Apple where you can rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.